Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Something that's getting glossed over in, in today's society as well is that we've seen so many people gain so much success so quickly that our, our standard of what hard work is and what it takes to become successful has been continued to be diminished, continued to be watered down, continued to be seem like it's so much more easily attainable than it, than it should be. And I just, I've just always, I'm a son of a carpenter and a son of a secretary, like I said, small town, high Ridge, Missouri. And when I walked onto that team, I said, I don't, I don't care if I reach my goals or not, I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to show up first. I'm going to leave late. I'm going to be of service and I'm going to do more than what is required. I mean, I think that's the walk on mentality. I think even, even to this day, people would say, well, you got this and you got this following, you got these zeros in your bank account or you got this, you know, you got the wife and you got the kids in the house. But to me, I'm still waking up every single day and the rent is due every single day. This is the Tom Rowland podcast. Fascinating stories to amaze, encourage and inspire you in fishing, fitness and the outdoors. And we're brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends, people that I admire and respect, and you. It has been a learning journey that's made me a better person, a better fisherman, a better father, and a better athlete. I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me, and I'd love to hear from you with show suggestions, guest suggestions, or questions. The best way to get a hold of me is through text. You can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response, but if you prefer to email, you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That's a dedicated email address just for the show. If you like this show, you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me. Text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website is TomRollandPodcast.com, and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done. 
both the How To Tuesdays, the full links, and the Physical Fridays. They all live on TomRolandPodcast.com. And the social media is Tom underscore Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram. Or you can go to our big account, Saltwater underscore Experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now, let's get on to today's show. I'm Michael Chandler, top five UFC lightweight, and this is the Tom Roland Podcast. Michael Chandler. Tom, how are you, man? I'm doing great, man. We're here in your beautiful new house, in your beautiful new podcast studio. Is this the first one? This is it, man. We hey. just, we just uh, this is actually really cool. I, uh, I've been sitting here, like, you know, projecting the future, but also really excited about sitting here and talking, talking with you and... Yeah, we're sitting here looking at these microphones and it's going to be a great thing. It's like a blank slate, you know, now yeah. when you have a big empty room or a, or a big, I don't know, an empty closet, mm-hmm. it fills, yep. you know, you ever notice that? Yeah. Like if you does. have an empty thing in your house, all of a sudden you don't do, you don't plan on filling it up, but then it's just full. Yep. Right. It, and that's what this will be for build, you. Build it and they will come. And also, yeah, you know, there's a little, little things here that aren't even done yet, but it's like, you know looking forward to the future when we get this thing completely done and all the lives that we can impact. So. Nice. So we're sitting in Nashville, yep. not very far from where my wife grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a little bit familiar with the area, but this is a, this is a hot area. It is. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we were talking before off, off mic. We were, you know, my wife and I moved here about five years ago. We just fell, fell in love with the city. Uh, we love country music. Obviously we got some, some friends here in, in the city and we both grew up in Missouri. So we, you know, saw the, saw the, upward projecting of projection of where Nashville was going to be in a couple of years. And it's just growing like crazy. And we love this place and we have now planted our roots and Nashville's our city. Nice. Well, you got a good spot. This is, this is a really nice spot. Thank you. My wife has uh, moved out of Nashville, still has a couple of sisters that live here, but um, we come back and visit. And every time we come back, it looks a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's a construction city, crane city. You drive downtown, there's cranes everywhere. Uh, you know, you drive up and down, you know, these areas, it's just like every other third house is torn down and brand new. And it's, the city is changing like crazy, but it's, you know, it's, it's an awesome city to be a part of right now. So, yeah, well, good. Your career has, uh, has really taken the turn lately. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's really awesome to see. I've been following you. I'm a big, um, like we were talking before I I grew up wrestling. Uh, I was a wrestling wrestler myself, a wrestling mm-hmm. coach, a wrestling parent, and uh, hope to be a wrestling grandparent one day. Mm-hmm. But I love the sport. It's just so awesome. And so whenever I see a wrestler in the UFC, I, I'm in their corner, yeah. right? And it's become increasingly harder now because now you have wrestlers against wrestlers, yeah. right? So you have to pick, okay, well, I, I like that college better than I like the other <laughs> yeah, college right. or whatever, you know, whatever it is. But I always like to see the wrestlers succeed. And so I've been following your career for a long time and even from Bell, Bellator and then now you've gone to the UFC and, and recently you're coming off something that just was unbelievable with yeah. the Tony Ferguson fight. Congratulations Thank to you. you there. But one of the things that um, I've always wanted to talk to you about is, is mindset. Mm-hmm. Just you, you epitomize mindset and manifesting things in my opinion. And, um, I just really wanted to, to, to talk to you about that because it's, you're very vocal about it. You're very inspirational and motivational to other people, but it's, it seems like, and I've even heard you say it on other, other podcasts. You're a small, you're a small guy from a small town taught to do small things Mm -hmm. and something has changed. Yeah. What's changed? You know, I think it's, uh, 
I think just, I, I talk about the walk-on mentality. Like me, I, I believe, I believe foregoing the scholarships to division two, II, division three NAIA schools and walking on to the university of Missouri was the single best decision that I made in my entire athletic life. But it also spilled into every single other aspect of, of my life. I think knowing where you started, knowing that you're the lowest guy on the totem pole, you know, we were talking about Brian Smith. I love Brian Smith and what he has done for university of Missouri. But to me, he was a godlike figure that first year when I came in and for him to never look at me, speak to me, talk at me, look in my direction, say, good job, kid. Although it didn't offend me and I, I wasn't worth his time. I wanted to prove to him, not just to him, but to myself. I wanted to prove to all my friends in, in High Ridge, Missouri, Jefferson County, Missouri, that said, hey, why don't you go take this Division Three scholarship? Why don't you go take that, take that NAI scholarship? If something in me, thank God, it went against the grain of what everybody thought I was capable of. I made that decision to walk on and know where I started. And, and now I sit, sit here and I'm, you know, multiple time Bellator world champion and top five in the UFC. And I, I do believe that it's the calling on my life that I will become that UFC champion in the next couple of years that I am commissioned and I am convicted every single day that I wake up, that there is some kid out there in a small town somewhere who may not believe certain things about himself because of what his parents have put on, on top of him, the box that he has been put in by his peers, the self-fulfilling prophecies that he is constantly caught in that I was caught in. You know, I was a late bloomer, didn't have hair in my armpits till I was almost 19 <laughs> years old, you know, and like we were talking, I chose wrestling. Well, it wasn't like I chose wrestling. Wrestling chose me because I was five foot, five foot, nothing, mm -hmm. 120 pounds. And there was no other sport that I was going to be able to play. So I think, I think it comes from a deep conviction that there's so many young kids out there around the entire world that felt exactly like I did and even and even more so feel even more insignificant that I felt and smaller than I felt that I just want I want them to see that if if Michael Chandler this small guy from a small town who was taught to do small things can do things that where I'm at right now, then I've got to spread that message. I've got to make these people believe in themselves. Nice. So you're wearing the walk-on shirt, walk-on hat. So what does that mean to you? Walk-on? You know, I think, you know, for me, it's a, like I said, it, it's, it's the, the single cornerstone that I've built my, my entire life around making that decision to walk on to the university of Missouri. I think it's, you, sh you I had to do more than what was expected of me. I had to do more than what was asked of me. I had to answer the phone calls to the upperclassmen. I think of Tyron Woodley, who ended mm -hmm. up, you know, we all know he ended up becoming a UFC champion. Ben Askren, who ended up becoming, you know, fighting in the UFC, multiple time world champion. These guys were like my big brothers, but it was, I was the guy that they would call at, you know, whatever time. I would, you know, I, as long as I didn't have to skip class or if it was a class that I knew I could or could not skip, I would be there. I would be in the gym. I would be in the practice room sometimes three, four, five times a day. If I had to, to not only was I trying to get better physically, but I was trying to prove, Hey, I'm here. I, I am a pawn in this system and I'm going to be used as much as I possibly could. I would have been completely okay getting to the end of my, my college career and look at myself in the mirror and say, okay, maybe I wasn't a national champion. Maybe I wasn't an all American, but there was not one day that I did not push myself to the limit and make myself of service to this, this program. Like Rudy. Yeah. I mean, kind of, but yeah. then, but, but you made it. I mean, yeah. you became the all American, you yeah. did it, but it's that work ethic of like, that's why people love that movie, Rudy, yeah, because that's what good. he did. Like yeah. he, he didn't 
I mean, by all, by all measure, he didn't deserve to be there mm -hmm. until he did the work and did the work and did the work to yeah. be there. And well, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that's getting glossed over in, in today's society as well, is that we've seen so many people gain so much success so quickly that our, our standard of what hard work is and what it takes to become successful has been continued to be diminished, continued to be watered down, continued to be seem like it's so much more easily attainable than it, than it should be. And I just, I've just always, I'm a son of a carpenter and a son of a secretary, like I said, small town, high Ridge, Missouri. And when I walked onto that team, I said, I don't, I don't care if I reach my goals or not, I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to show up first. I'm going to leave late. I'm going to be of service and I'm going to do more than what is required. I mean, I think that's the walk on mentality. I think even, even to this day, people would say, well, you got this and you got this following, you got these zeros in your bank account, or you got this, you know, you got the wife and you got the kids in the house. But to me, I'm still waking up every single day and the rent is due every single day. Mm -hmm. You know, as, as you've heard a thousand times, it's success is never owned. It's rented. And that rent is due every single day. And that's just the mentality that I had. And it's, it's a walk on mentality and mixed martial arts be called a, a uh, white belt mentality, mm -hmm. where even if you're a world champion, you still got the open mind and the open heart to serve and be the, still be the white belt. Like you were the mm -hmm. first day you walked into the gym with the starry, starry eyes yep. and a, a bright future. And you can learn from everybody. Yeah. Um, so it's one thing to be in that situation and to do the work every single day. And in my opinion, it's almost, there's a place where it's almost easier to find yourself there and just start churning out that work than it is to be the kid that has the opportunity to go to the, the, the smaller school mm -hmm. or whatever, and then choose. And that's exactly what it is. It's a choice of I'm taking this harder choice. Yeah. May not be successful, may not, you know, I'm probably going to get laughed at. They're not, I'm not going to be welcome. I'm going to take this harder choice. Tell me about that. Like that's, that's really where I see your career really starting is at that choice of, of making that walk on choice. Yeah. And, and I really wish I, I do not do a good job of remembering things, you know, like when I, I always say, when I, when I write a book, like I'm going to make sure it'll be <laughs> my brother, Eric, who seems to, to remember everything about our childhood and about us coming up together and all that. And, you know, my wife over the last 10 years, because I just don't, I don't remember these things. Cause I think I am so in the moment I'm in the moment today. So I may not remember that much about today. And it's not because I fight and get hit in the head for a living. It's literally, I just, I think I'm in the moment and I can't remember when I was that 17, 18 year old kid, why I made that decision. Why being a, being a small guy from a small town, you can find yourself in the herd, in the middle of the herd where everybody's doing something. And this is kind of what we do. We're from High Ridge, mm -hmm. Missouri. You're either going to get a job at Emo's Pizza or you're going to be flipping tires over at, at Dobbs Tires. and Or you might be working on Chris Boniger's farm. He had all this farmland and all these cows. And there was all these different things that, um, you know, we, I fell into that herd mentality and I was just, I kind of wanted, I always wanted to be a little bit vanilla because I never wanted to stand out. Mm. I never wanted to make people feel insecure about my confidence in myself. So I constantly diminished myself. So I have no idea why at that point in time, because you got to remember too, we're talking about scholarships. We're talking about, I'm a middle-class family. My, right. mom, my mom and dad worked two and two and three jobs to make sure my wife or my son or their sons, my two brothers and myself had every single thing that we possibly needed. We had everything we needed. We had a roof over our head. We had food. We weren't poor by any means, but we were not well to do at all. 
So I was making a decision that said, you know, mom, we're going to, you know, we're going to take on a little bit of student loan debt here instead of I can go take this zero, you know, zero emission fees to a different school. And luckily my parents were on board with it because I had this feeling in my heart that if I'm going to wrestle, I'm going to try to wrestle at the highest level. And even if I'm a bench warmer, even if I uh, become a training partner for five years, even if I quit. Uh, and I have to go back to high Ridge, Missouri with my hat in my hand and everybody's got their finger pointed at me and said, I told you so that's where you want to be. You want to be in those moments. And I've, and now even as a, as a guy who's now had 30 fights, this, you alluded to the Tony Ferguson fight. This is my 30th fight. That's a lot of professional fights. Wow. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a veteran now of the sport, but even now I talk about this idea that even though you've sat in front of a TV or I've sat in front of a TV and we've watched somebody lose. We've watched them dare, dare greatly and fail and fall flat on their face. And you have that feeling that, gosh, that's embarrassing for that person or, Ooh, I'm glad I'm not in that person's shoes. I truly believe that the human spirit gets unlocked a little bit in those mm -hmm. moments where we can say, yes, I do feel sorry for him, but I'm kind of envious that that man or that woman put themselves out there like that. Mm -hmm. And I've, and I've done that so many times now and, it's embarrassing when you lose in front of millions of people. And it was embarrassing when, when I wasn't an all American up until finally my senior year. And I would go back between school years and yeah, still on the wrestling team. And I, I made the team this year, but you know, I went, you know, 20 and 16, I didn't exactly have a great record, you know, but it's in those moments where people can say, yeah, that's the dude's not exactly successful, but I kind of wish I would trade places with him because I know what I'm doing. I wish I was putting myself out there a little bit more like that. And it's just given, I've just been given so many opportunities that, man, I'm going to ride this thing till the wheels fall off. And when I get done fighting, I'm going to keep on talking on microphones and being surrounded yeah. by people like yourself and try to make an impact. Well, you know, there's, there's an incredible feeling of making that hard choice. And I've heard you say, and lots of people have said, you know, success is on the outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. For you, that was pretty far outside of your comfort zone. You're 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 not taking a scholarship that you really needed, and you're choosing to do this walk-on thing. That's where, like, I wonder, like, what advice you give to somebody that is in that situation of like, you know, even just going to college and wrestling at that at that uh, you know uh, Division three school that that would have been considered success, right? right. I mean, that yeah. was that was good. You got you earned a scholarship. You're a great wrestler. You're doing great things. So that is, you know. To a lot of people around you, hey, good job, Mike. Mm -hmm. That could have been great. But you chose to, okay, no, that's not good enough like this. And so there's people all over in every walk of life, whether it's this guy that's thinking about being a, a professional fisherman and he's offered this great mate job on this awesome boat. It's going to have insurance benefits. It's going to be all this. Or he could buy his own boat mm -hmm. and he could do it himself. Like he's standing there at that at that precipice of looking at this cliff and going, do I take the easy road, which is success, or do I take this hard road? Like mm -hmm. well, as you've done this and you look back on that as a big part of your career and you're obviously the walk on mentality is, is like, that's you. Yeah. What do you say to that person right now? Well, I love, I love what you said too, because even bringing it back to watching as I talked about, like kind of the man in the arena, mm -hmm. I think so many people watch people maybe fail or put themselves out there or they need to recalibrate because they're looking at their situation and knowing that they have played it safe so many times. Mm -hmm. And there's something that they envy about that because we always, we will always envy those that are daring more than we are. 
you know, they're more wild at heart. They need a battle to fight and an adventure to have and a beauty to win. And they're mm. out there and they're like chasing that. that. You know, that's, that's John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart. Any mm. young man out there, it's been around for a long time. I'd suggest you read that book. It's an amazing, it's an amazing book about the heart of the man. Um, but then I think about that person who, who is in that position where it's like, Hey, I need to make a decision here. What I am doing right now is not fueling me. What I am doing right now, it does not make me feel a hundred percent alive. I believe God created us to be a hundred percent alive. We're all going to be living 80 years or whatever it is on this earth, but are we really alive? Mm -hmm. Are we really soaking and squeezing every ounce of happiness, joy, and contentment and peace and, and even zeal and, and thriving in, inside this, this life. And I'd be lying if I didn't say there wasn't seasons of my life where I just kind of felt blah, or I knew I wasn't making the right decision, or I knew that I was playing it safe. I think at some point, once it's panned out for you, you know, once I walk on and I see that it works out and then once I decide to go to Bellator and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm signing with Bellator because there's this tournament. And if I win the tournament, I get the world title or I get to fight for the world title. Then I win the tournament. Then I fight for the world title. And I become, you know, top three in the world. Mm -hmm. And then I go through some ups and downs, win the title, whatnot. And then I go to, then I go from Bellator to deciding, okay, I'm going to test free agency and then go to the UFC. Yeah. That's another, that's another it's kind of another walk kind of on. fork in the road. Is, it was an exactly, it was act, exactly the walk on story from a decade and a half previous because I had the relative security. I could have retired with Bellator making great with making a great paycheck and had the security and been a pillar in that organization, helping to build that organization while they also helped build me. But I needed to bear, I needed to, to brave the unknown. Mm. And even though I didn't know Dana White, I didn't know anybody in the UFC. I knew what they had to offer. If I came through with my end of the bargain, my end of the bargain was showing up and winning fights and being entertaining. And so far here I am four fights in, and it was the best decision now that I, <laughs> that I could have made in, in my MMA career. And to that person, any advice I would say is you have to know that you're making the right decision at the right time. Sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves that we know what we want, but maybe it's not the right time. It could be the right decision, but it could be the wrong time because you have to, you have to make sure that you don't make an ill-advised decision to right. like, Hey, I'm going to give up this great paying job that to something that fuels my passion, but it pays me $0, but I got a <laughs> wife and two kids at home. Well, I'm not saying do that, but what I am saying is maybe your eight hour day needs to turn into a four, 14 hour work day where you're f working on your passion a couple more hours. And, you know, it's, it's hard because it's case by case basis, but yeah. continue to Continue to, to pray over James 1, 5. He who lacks wisdom, the Lord your God who gives it abundantly, will, will, it will be given to you. And I remember praying that prayer and 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 reading that right before I walked into my, my meeting with the UFC. Hmm. And I did not have an ounce of wisdom on how the heck it was going to happen. I prayed that prayer and all of a sudden I went in there and walked out with a contract and it's been the best decision I've ever made. And now it was actually my father-in-law who, who sent me that scripture that day. And I, I pray over James one five every single time there's a big decision because I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the smarts. I don't have the information. I don't even know exactly what I want in a lot of these situations, but he who, he who asks for wisdom, the Lord, your God will give it abundantly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hmm. Wow.
That's awesome. Isn't it? It's, it's freeing sometimes to, to get to a point in your life where you can say, I don't have the wisdom. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. so much of your life, you, you fake it and you, yeah. you, you think that everybody expects you to know this. And then when you finally get to a point to where you're, you're comfortable with yourself enough to where you can say, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's a, powerful place. It really is because you, you know, well, look, I didn't know what I was doing in this situation, in this situation, in this situation, in this situation, all of those worked out. Yep. And so why do I want to fake it and pretend like I know what I'm doing when I don't know what I'm doing? And yep. then the fact that you, it's almost like that empty closet. The fact that you say you don't know what you're doing, you've opened this up and it gets full of knowledge. Like, yep. I don't know. It's just funny no. how that happens. Well, I love it. And then you, you, you find yourself not only faking, but you try to force, you try to force it. And also you might try to force something where you're forcing a square peg into a round Mm. hole at the wrong time during the wrong season, you know, and you're making ill-advised decisions because you know, you think you know what you want, but how many times in your life, you're a little bit older than I am, but how many times are you thanking God for unanswered prayers? How many times, right? The old Garth Brooks (laughs) song, how many times, how many times are you like, thank God that didn't happen Mm. because I actually, now that I realize it, I'm so happy that didn't happen. Yeah. Whether it's taking you on a whole different road. Yeah. And it's, and it's crazy. It's kind of like what you said though, too, when you look back at your life thus far, and I don't care if you're 18 years old and you think about elementary school, middle school, and you're 18 or, or now I hear I am 36 and I look back at all these different seasons and I think, man, I was so worried about this thing that either a never happened or B eventually did happen. It just wasn't the right time. Mm -hmm. You know, it can't be, you can't, you can't try to, going back to this idea of, of trying to figure it all out. Once you let it go, like, just like you said, once you let it go a little bit, it's almost at that moment that things start (laughs) shifting. And I think so many times in my life was I so focused on, I have to have this happen. I, this has to work out. That has to work out. And I focus and focus and focus on it. But as soon as I'm like, you know what, man, forget it. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And then all of a sudden, the next day, a phone call, a text message, a handshake, <laughs> a serendipitous meeting happens. And you're like, well, how in the heck did that just happen? I just finally gave that up and realized I didn't need it anymore. And then all of a sudden it happens. You know, what's for you? And I, and my wife and I, we're, we just went through the adoption process. We just just adopted a new baby boy. and Second, we, second baby boy. Right. And we were talking to one of the adoption consultants one day and she said something that really stuck with me. She said, what was meant for you won't pass you up. So when you're so worried about what is meant for you and you're focusing on it and you're praying over it or you're, you're thinking about it and you're visualizing it, it's not going to pass you up if it's meant for you. And if it is meant for you, it's going to pass you up. But what is meant for you won't pass you up. And I've just been, I've been thinking about that almost every single day since I, I heard her say that day, that, that day. And life just keeps on working out. You just have to still be standing there believing that it's going to when it does. <laughs> and then being ready to walk through the door exactly. that's presented to you. Exactly. Right. Like there's a door often presented and, and like, you've been wanting this and wanting this and wanting this. And then boom, here comes this phone call. And it's like, no, don't want that. Yep. But that's, that was it. Yeah. That was it. That was the opportunity you've been looking for. Yeah. Right. And that's where a lot of people get to that door and they go, mm, no. Yeah. And that's, that's, that leads to regret. Mm-hmm. And like the, all that we've been talking about, like it's, it's, it's pure bliss when you do all this work and it works out and it happens and it feels so rewarding. But the opposite side of that is to look back 20 years later and go, you know what? I should have tried. Yep. I should have tried. And living with regret is not anything that anybody wants to, 
Yeah. You can take whatever whatever benefits you get out of success, whatever joy you get out of it, whatever whatever you feel is it, it's worse yep. with regret, like yep. having never done it. What do you think about? Um, do you think about positive versus negative? on a daily basis, like in your, in your mindset, like you're, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is kind of like the positive side would be to, to manifest these things and think about them. The negative side would be to, I don't know, it, it would be the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Do you think about that? I do, you know, and I think I will admit, I think I've been a, a naturally optimistic person my entire life. <laughs> um, you know, and I think I say naturally because I think it, it starts at a young age, whether you're and who you're around, whether you're kind of somewhat naturally optimistic. But then as you get a little bit older and I, I talk about this as well. And uh, re recently, I don't think we get old. I think we get lazy and busy. You know, <laughs> I think we get busy. So therefore, we're, we're so overstimulated and got so much stuff going on that we get a little bit lazy. And obviously now being 36 years old, fighting in the UFC, I fought for five times, basically I weighed in one time, five times in 16, 18 months, been extremely busy. Got a lot of stuff going on. Got a wife, got numerous kids now, two kids. We just get, we have to start compartmentalizing all these different things that we have going on. So I, now I have to find myself choosing to be positive in these scenarios. And once again, going back to what we were just talking about, most of the time it works out. Most of the time things work out. Most of the time that we, things that we worry about actually never happen. And I'm lying to you if I sit here and say, I'm not, don't worry about things often, but it, you know, cause it happens. We are naturally, we are naturally self-preservation seeking organisms here on, on mm -hmm. the earth, trying to, trying to mitigate all the risk and try to try to get away from comfort. And I know you and I talked about comfort. I think the more we push ourselves outside of our comfort zone. And the more we push ourselves into hard things, which can sometimes be perceived as negative, your mindset, sh mindset starts shifting into, okay, how is this situation going to serve me? How is this negative thing going to serve me? If it's, a, if it's a bad thing that happens to me, but a good thing comes of it, was it really a bad thing? So what may seem like a bad thing right now, I've seen this play out like I'm watching a movie again in my life. Each season is a new little movie that I'm watching where something bad happens and you're the hero of your own story. You're the, you're the protagonist and there's an antagonist. <laughs> and then by the end of that season, by the end of that scene, by the end of that movie, something great happens. And there's, there's this glorious moment where, you know, something great happens, but I think about the positive and, and negative a, a lot actually. And I think it does now that I say, now that I use the word naturally, naturally optimistic, I think when I was, when I was younger, I was a little bit naturally optimistic, but now I'm a, I'm a chosen optimist hmm. more, more so than, than not, because we can all wake up every single day, turn flip on the news and look at five different things that we're like, okay, this is, you know, life is rough and the breach keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. And, you know, I'm not sure about this and not sure about that. But when you go into every when you really start living your life more from a gratitude standpoint, you're going to be more naturally optimistic. When you wake up in the morning and you talk about or think about or pray over the five things that you're thankful for, it's hard to have start. It's hard to start your day off on a, on a negative day, man, that, a negative way. That was huge for me mm -hmm. when I, when, when that happened for me, the, the gratitude, um, and having a daily gratitude practice, mm -hmm. um, everything in my life changed. I, I, I really do believe that there was kind of a, a period there where I started to learn the value of gratitude and practice it on a daily basis. And then 
things started happening. I also started thinking about, you know, choosing to be positive rather than choosing to be negative. And it is a choice. Yeah. Like you can sit there and look at things. And, you know, th there's the, the thing where they say every subject is really two subjects. There's mm. a positive side and there's a negative side. And when I started choosing gratitude and choosing um, positivity, that's where everything changed in my career, my family, everything changed. Yep. And uh, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's impossible to be negative and great, uh, full of grateful, right. Or full of gratitude at the same time. You can't be grateful and negative about your life when you're thinking about what you're grateful for. I mean, it's similar to the, one of the biggest questions I always get asked is, Hey, what's going through your mind when you're walking to the cage, you're about to fight a guy in a cage <laughs> who's going to punch you, kick you, knee you and elbow you in front of millions of people. And I say, well, what I do is I talk to myself because if I listen to myself, I'm, I might hear negativity. If I hear negativity, it's going to throw me off. It's going to get into my psyche right before. So in the same vein, if I'm talking to myself and I'm speaking positive things over my life, I'm talking talking to myself about how I deserve to win, how great I am, how talented I am, how hard I've worked. I'm sitting here and I'm filling this microphone up with, with sound waves. So therefore there's no negativity that could come out. There's no thoughts that could come out and sink into my brain, sink into my soul. Same thing with, with your gratitude. When you wake up in the morning, whether it's 10 things, five things, or even one thing, you're also, not only can you not be negative in that, in that moment, then it starts a perpetual motion mm -hmm. of gratitude sure. throughout the day. And then also at the same time, um, you're opening the door for more good things to happen to you. Similar to what you talked about, the choices, sometimes just letting that choice go or letting that outcome go, then all of a sudden you're blessed with it or yeah. letting, letting, letting that, that grip of, of what you have to have, let it go. And then all of a sudden you're blessed with it. Same thing with gratitude. You, when you focus on it and, and use it and you start your day with it, then you're at least moving forward in a, in a grateful way throughout the, the first couple hours of your day. Is that what you, do you have a practice that you could tell us what your, your gratitude practice is? I yeah. Mean, is it five things that every day is that the, what you do? Yeah. I mean, man, it's, it's funny for me, for me, I, I will admit it's not exactly the same every single day. Sometimes, and, and I, and I do it a lot when I'm in training camp, sometimes it's just, you know, I am grateful for, I am grateful for, I am grateful for. It's like I, a journaling. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I write out the words I am grateful for just because I want to get more words, more mind body connection to that pencil or to that pen, or I have a remarkable tablet that I use that's electronic, but, um, or honestly, sometimes I just, and this is, it might sound to the to the person listening to it, it might sound like I am an extreme narcissist when I say I write down everything that I, that I love about myself or I love about my life. And I, and I also write down all of my attributes as an athlete because Tom, I'll tell you right now, there was so many years that I spent thinking that I was small, weak, insignificant, inathletic, a loser, can't be a champion, can't win. I always blow it <laughs> in those moments. So when I have spent thousands and thousands of, of words that were negative towards my physical self and my mental self, my emotional self, I am unpacking that baggage. I am reversing those hands of mm -hmm. time. I am, I am erasing all of those pages, all of those, those words off of the proverbial paper that are, that are in my brain. So I will write down, I am extremely athletic. When I hit somebody with my right hand, they wobble. When I hit somebody with my left hand, they wobble. My cardio is impeccable. I mean, I write down these, these things that sound similar when you talk about writing down your goals, you want to write mm -hmm. down goals that scare you a little right. bit. The big, hairy, audacious goal, goals, not the, well, I want to be kind of successful. No, I want to be 
I want to be like this guy. I want to mm-hmm. have this kind of money. I want to have this jet, this on car. On this day. On this day, exactly. So for me, I'm I'm writing down those words about myself that make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. You know, if I wrote down, I am going to be a megastar bigger than Conor McGregor, sounds pretty crazy. And it makes me feel uncomfortable. And I'm not saying I have written that or I have, have written that or I haven't. Um, but writing down those things that almost seem unattainable. Am I ever going to be as big as Conor McGregor from a, a star standpoint? We don't know. It's going to be a very, very hard goal to meet because he's huge. But write down those things because it's just you in, in your lonesome right. sitting right there with that. Just like you have a pen and paper in front of you. It's just you. Don't be afraid to write it down. It's you and God sitting there right. with a pen and paper. But if you never write it down, you never start. True. And then you never, you never plant that seed that could eventually grow into anything. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's awesome, man. Let me ask you about, um, change the subject for a minute. Let me ask you about parenting. Love it. Because, um, you, you now have two children and they obviously mean a lot to you. You, you, you I just saw that you had your son at the fight for the first time, yep. right? That was the first yep. time he had seen you fight. Have he's seen you train and yep. lots of other things, right? Yep. He's come down to Florida a little bit and watched me train and then he's, um, see me train here. Cool. Yeah. Well, obviously family is, is super important to you. Mindset is also super important to you. You said that you're a small town, ta- a small guy from a small town taught to do small things. You've also said that, you know, your parents gave you everything that, that you could ever want. Right. Mm-hmm. But just because of the way things are, there's limiting beliefs yep. at some point that you've blown through. Right. Yep. So my question and what I was kind of interested in is being a small guy from a small town with taught to do small things and limiting beliefs. How have you thought about how you will now instill a different mindset into your children and what you will do with that? Like what, I mean, I'm sure you're thinking about it every every single day, day. right? But what, what kind of things are you thinking about? Because it is a, I mean, like, a child is, is moldable. Like, mm-hmm. like they, like you, you say you were taught to do small things. Well, it's not your parents' fault. That's just kind of the way that it happened. Right. And yeah. you've blown through that ceiling and you now realize that there aren't any limiting beliefs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how do you, how, how, what message will you give your children? You know, in, in, and thank you for asking that because I think it's, I think it's something that gets lost. I think we think as long as we keep our kids alive and, you know, they got a roof over their head and they got, they got food and maybe some social activity and they're going to be fine. And they're just going to grow into what they're supposed to grow into. And I, I don't believe that whatsoever. I think, as you said, you use this word moldable. I truly believe that I will be able to build my, my two sons I have now and any future children that we may have, I can mold them into individuals that believe in themselves above all else. They believe that they were put on this earth for a purpose and they weren't just put on this good to, on this earth to be good, but to be great and to be exceptional and to be extraordinary at whatever they choose to do. And I've heard people say, well, maybe you're setting the bar too high for your kid. I'm saying, I'm not saying you need to be a millionaire, billionaire. I'm not saying you need to be a professional athlete. I'm not saying you need to be a celebrity. I'm just saying, if you're a tax, if you're a, a CPA, you're going to wake up every single morning loving yourself, feeling feeling secure in yourself and feeling peace and joy and loving your job and doing whatever you want to do. That's the that's what I'm worried about. I want Hap and I want Ace and I want my sons to love themselves, believe in themselves, serve their God, serve other people and build themselves into somebody who wants to do something great with their life. We have my my son 
is my son Hap is five and we do, we have so many sayings, you know, it started with when he would fall, I would say, Hey, every young man falls. And he would repeat to me, but every young man gets back up mm -hmm, Nice. and he would get an ouchie. He would get <laughs> I like a, he would, and, and I, and I do this, I do this a lot too, where he, I make him, re, I make him finish my statement. We do it all the time. Like right now it's a lot of, Hey mommy, will you grab this? I'm like, Hey buddy, you have God bless you with two arms and two legs. Why don't you grab that? Why don't you grab that, that drink? It's right there. You know, because Chandler's are, and he'll say self-sufficient Chandler's are self-sufficient. Now I will serve this kid 365 days a year, 24 seven. But you know, as a parent, you can't just give your kid every little thing and hand him a Skittle. Cause he's, you know, sitting there when he mm -hmm. could have got up and got it himself. Um, when he falls, we talk about every, every young man gets an ouchie, but every ouchie and he'll say heals. And then I, I pray over him every single night and he can recite it back. And I just, I want him to believe that God put him on this earth for great things. When he walks into a room, people will take notice. When he speaks, people will listen. When he walks in a certain direction, people will follow. He is a leader and he is going to serve people and he is going to do something great with his life. And as I said, I'm not saying he has to be uber wealthy, uber successful, what, what, what society and what the world calls successful these days. I just want him to be happy, healthy, secure, and, and know that he is loved and love on other people and whatever he chooses to do. So I just, I may be a little overboard with it. I may be a little bit over, maybe I talk about it too much. I mean, I've probably told the kid I'm proud of him 150,000 times in the last couple of years. And he's probably like, maybe I'm telling him too much. Uh, cause it's not like, Hey, I'm proud of you that you were able to pick up that, that pen, you know, it's, but it's just like, I, I am proud of you at all times. I am proud of you. My favorite thing about life is being your dad. <laughs> and I truly believe that. And it's easy to, it's easy to tell him that when I truly believe that. And, and as I said, my, my parents didn't fall short in loving me or making us feel secure, or we were taking, you know, we were definitely taken care of, but they just did. The only thing that they did not do that I wish they would have done was look at me in the eye and say, Michael, you can be successful. You deserve to be successful. You can accomplish ridiculously great things with your life outside of those County lines. There is a whole world out there and that is, it is your oyster and you can do with it what you want. As long as you are a good person and you try to do things right and you try to, you need know, to work extremely hard. I mean, really when you boil it down, try to be a good person, you try to work extremely hard and surround yourself with good people. What else, what else is there from a, just a boilerplate, you know, that's, so I just want my, my sons and my future kids to just know, man, this God created us not just to be good. We, we were not created to be, to be mediocre. We were not created to be, to not be happy and thriving and loving life. And you know, there's going to be some ebbs and flows and ups and downs throughout the, throughout the process. And I can't wait to be there for them and pick them up whenever they fall and be their shoulder to cry on when they need to, but they will know without a shadow of a doubt that they were created for great things. That's awesome, man. Um, so that, that, I mean, you kind of alluded to it, that what, what your parents did and what you're doing, um, were slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't bad. They, they were like, as you said, like, I love them so much and I am so, I will sit, I'll sit here and say, I'm a world champion mixed martial artist and a all American wrestler. And I am a, and I, and I do even think I am a great father because I want to become a great father because my parents taught me how to work hard. Mm -hmm. I was all these physical things in, in the sport of wrestling because my parents taught me how to work hard, extremely hard. They were, they're so much better than me in, in other aspects that I'll never be as good at, at them at. And I'm better at 
making my sons believe in themselves a little bit more. <laughs> and I probably fall short in the, you know, the yard work and the other stuff that my dad did really, really well that taught me to be the man that I am. Right. Yeah. The hard work, the yeah. work ethic. Yeah. That's what wrestling builds too, though. Mm. I mean, there's, there's nothing, nothing, like nothing like that in, in my opinion. That's where like, I, <laughs> I loved wrestling at, Sometimes I hated wrestling at other times. I liked wrestling yeah. for the most part. Yeah. But, you know, there is that love hate thing where mm -hmm. you're kind of like, yeah, I'm a wrestler. And then you're kind of like, oh, man, that means the season's coming up and I'm not going to be able to eat Thanksgiving with everybody mm -hmm. and I'm going to be cutting weight and the whole thing. And I just hate the whole thing. Yep. Right. And then something happens and you love the whole thing. Yeah. But that when I really loved wrestling was, <laughs> I had this, I had this, I had this period, uh, it was with one of my best sponsors. I don't think I've ever told this story on the podcast, but it was really profound to me. You, you might get it. You might like it. So I'm with my guy from Oakley and we're out fishing and he, he's talking and we're no other boats on the water. And we're just having this great conversation and I'm running the boat. And we're going to run for an hour and a half and we're just going to go and go and go and go. And he says, oh, what sports did you do? And I was telling him, I was like, wrestling and this and that. And he's oh, wrestling, that's cool. Uh, were you a state champion? And I said, no. No, I wasn't a state champion. He said, you seem kind of disappointed about that. And I said, it's the biggest disappointment of my whole life. It's fourth place. Supposed to win, didn't win. Yeah. It's a real big disappointment. And he goes, oh, well, you know that's why you're successful today, right? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, it's obvious you you have four plans for everything that you're doing. You you have a plan A, B, C, D. You are super prepared. You um, you're on time. You think about this all the time, and you've become very successful because you'll never let whatever that was that that happened in that tournament. You'll never let that happen again. And yeah. I was like, Yeah, really? Like you see that? <laughs> Having been around me for a week. Yeah. And I haven't seen that in my, at that, at that time, it was probably 40 years. I was like, and I haven't seen that in my 40 years that that thing that I'm considering one of my greatest failures in my entire life has been the biggest gift I was ever given. And you, yeah. you just saw that immediately. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I saw that immediately. <laughs> but it's kind so of funny. Amazing. And then, then I really embraced it. Yeah. And I was like, man. That is right, because if I had won that match, then I probably would have wrestled in college and I probably would have done all these other things and I would have never lived this life. Yep. And I love this life. And so that's a gift. And I'm thanking everything for that gift. Yep. Right? Yeah. But you don't perceive it as that. And that's yeah. kind of like what we talked about before, like... If, if it's meant for you, it will, it won't pass you up. Yeah. And if a bad thing happens to you, like fourth place is a horrible thing. Horrible. Or maybe people who don't wrestle no, don't, can't understand no, but not that. When you're the, not when you've already beat the guy that yeah. wins yep. in the season and you beat everybody else yep. and you're supposed to win mm -hmm. yep. and you've done the work. Yeah. But you weren't right between the years. Yeah. And that's what happened. And that's well, yeah. And I think that's I think think the same thing for me as well. I think I was so dissatisfied by just becoming a one time all American. You know, and you don't really realize it till you look back and think, man, 
why didn't I just believe, <laughs> believe in myself freshman year, sophomore year, junior year. I lost in the All-American round two other times. I lost in the All-American round three times. That That's the, they call it the blood round, you know, where you win, you're an All-American, you lose, you go home mm -hmm. empty-handed. And I kept finding myself losing in that until finally senior year, I became an All-American, but I was just so dissatisfied. And then I think with that, there was probably a moment where, yeah, it fueled you, but you also looked back and said, man, why did it, why, why didn't I just win it? I should have won it. I put in the work. I did the right thing. I, I, I deserved to win it. So therefore now subconsciously, every single thing you do in your life, you're like, I don't want that to happen again. Right. So now you're running from, now you're, you're constantly running from that feeling. And the only way to run from that feeling is to run into, like you said, plan A, B, and C run into the first one, the first one to show up, never right. late, run right. into integrity, Absolutely. run into character, run into the man that you want to become who you may not have ever become. Had you been a state champion that, that year? Right. Had I been and the national champion? That's the unanswered time. prayer that you were talking yeah. about before. Like had that happened, it was just easy. You know, mm -hmm. I did what I was supposed to do Threw the guy, put him on his back, just like I did earlier in the season. Yep. Win. Yeah. But that's not what happened. No. Nope. I got beat by somebody that was not even seated. Gosh. Right? And yeah. you go to the Constellation Finals and then you're so depressed and down about the whole thing that you then you lose that one too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Like I, I like even numbers. It's funny. My wife likes odd numbers and I never really thought about it. I always loved even numbers, but the even numbers were the ones that meant you lost your last right? match in the tournament. You yes. want to take first, third, fifth, or seventh, right? right? You don't want to take second, fourth, yeah. sixth, or eighth. I've that always you thought lost. that like third place is almost like <clears throat> in, in a wrestling tournament, like third place, like that's the guy. Yeah. Because he was doing great. Then he lost and then he won and he fought back and won again. Yep. Like yep. that's, that's good. Every story needs a little adversity. Right. You know, like the guy who, the guy who just went through the tournament and won every match, there was no, of course there was moments of adversity, but the guy who took third yeah. means he got kicked in the teeth, had to pull himself back up and then go wrestle again. And then somehow muster up the gumption to, to win again. Right. Believe that he could win and not just be like, well, I can't take first anymore. So why don't I just, you know, bow out of the tournament? Right. And I think too many people do that and that in life, as soon as they have a little bit of a setback where they realize they're not going to reach that certain milestone, that certain goal, that certain number, that certain thing that they want to accomplish, they say they just pack it in instead of realizing there is so much, there is so much more for you that may not be that exact thing that you quote unquote thought you wanted. But there's so much more success and so much more significance and contentment and, and happiness and joy in some of these other things if you just continue to pursue. You know, that's that's just like that's a, that's a, well, just like taking third, but just like being a wrestler at all. Yeah. yeah. Is that you can be losing. Well, now there's a 15 point rule or whatever. But mm -hmm. at one point there wasn't. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you could be losing for five minutes and 30 seconds yeah. the whole time you're getting killed. And then you can pin him. Yep. And win. Still a chance. That's what I always liked about wrestling is that there was always a chance. But then, but then you take that into life and it's like, you just got to fight till the last second. Yep. No matter what it is. Like, even though, even if it looks like you're just getting killed, you fight till the last second and you can always win. Yep. Well, and I think that's why wrestlers are successful. You alluded to wrestlers being successful in mixed martial arts. I mean, it's not the fact that we can pick guys up and put them down and, and I can control your body or I know how to take you down and a boxer doesn't. It's, it's the physical aspect of 
being well-versed in hand-to-hand combat, being down in the suck, in the valley, in those moments where you want to, you can't tell if you're going to pass out or puke or puke, then pass out <laughs> outside of your comfort zone, stuck in this four walls and it's hot in there and you got your coach breathing down your neck and not to mention he's breathing down your neck, but you got the guy, you know, who's your backup trying to nip at your heels, trying to take your spot. It's like a- Yeah, and a fresh guy coming in yeah, every 30 seconds. It's just a microcosm meritocracy of just suckiness, but you love it. You hate it, but like you said, you you hate it, but you love it, but then you you like it. You loved you liked being a wrestler. You hated it sometimes. You loved it sometimes. But I think that's that's life, isn't it? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. And and there's so many things about it. And when I really embraced like how much I liked wrestling was when I you know I told you that story about the sponsor. But then I start looking back at at it, and I'm like, you know what? Almost all the success that I've enjoyed has come from my background in wrestling Mm -hmm. because it's work ethic. It's being on time. It's preparing. You know, you can't, you can't go to a weight cut. Like you just have the, you have these crazy weight cuts, man. I'd love to talk to you about that too. too. soon. Don't talk about it. (laughs) How much are you weighing today? Uh, I'm actually pretty, pretty lean. I've stayed 186, 187. 186. Yeah. But I've stayed very lean. I've been doing mainly carnivore. I haven't, hadn't had much carbs. Really? I mean, yeah. I mean, normally I'm like, man, okay, wheels are off. I don't know. I just, I got this feeling, I got this, got this new, newfound feeling, you know, that I'm just like, I know the end is nearer than I, than I want it to be, you know, that, so I'm going to spend every single day thinking about the end of it. And I've thought about the end of it for years now. I think about that moment where I take off the gloves for the last time, (laughs) you know, and it's, and it's going to be, I'm I'm excited about the next chapter. I'm excited that I'm a, I got a beautiful family and, and what I get to do next, but you know, I know it's, I only have a, a certain clock that it's and it's ticking, you know? So I want to just take care of my body as much as possible. So I've just stayed pretty lean. And stayed, so the carbs are the shape. enemy. Carbs are the absolute enemy. You think for 100% you? For everybody on the entire planet. You think so? Yes. What? I don't know. The only carbs I eat are vegetables and uh sweet potato. Sweet potato. That's, good. that's a good carb. Yeah. But I, but I cut that down to about, four ounces, four ounces a day, the last couple of weeks. Now, granted, I don't think it's necessarily healthy. Like I, like I said, I weigh a hundred between last camp and this camp, I was about 192, 193, which is just crazy to get down to 155. So I had to not only cut fat, but I needed to shed a little bit of muscle as well. So, you know, you want to, I mean, you're in shape and you, you want to keep building muscle and get lean. You know, you can, you can have some carbs as well to keep building this picture of you. This picture of you is people is insane all governed by you Sada, by the way just you so look like knows. you look like um where, where can i find that i sent it to my kids that's oh, where yeah. i could find it um this thing yeah that so right that was there. so yeah that was the day uh three days before is what three, it's day, three days before yeah so so you're still a little bit you're not as emaciated as as you are like the day of the fight you know you look at me the day of the weigh-ins if i'm 155 pounds right. i'm dehydrated. I'm not as full and the veins aren't popping as much because I don't really have much food or water in my system, you know? Um, but yeah, I just manipulate the water at the very end and obviously get myself down to, I don't even know what my body fat is there. What is death? Death <laughs> one? is one. Like, yeah. Death is like one. So it's probably like four. I mean, this is about 4%. as, I mean, you, you could go to any bodybuilding competition Anywhere in the world, and you're not going to see anybody that's any leaner than that. That's yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty that's, crazy. And then the light's better on and, this side. But. And yeah, and, and if we can talk about some, it's it's really unfortunate that there's so many. And, and I'll tie this back into mindset. 
there's so many skeptics out there and they look at a picture like that and say, man, juice, right. and PEDs and steroids, they're, they're rampant inside the UFC. And I, I'll tell you right now, Tom, I got an app on my phone that tells USADA that this is my address and they can show up here whenever they want. Most of the time they show up in the morning or at night to either get the first or the last sample of the day. I've gotten blood, I've gotten blood tests, urine tests. Most of mine have been blood and urine at the, at the same time. And it's just unfortunate that there's so many people that still think that you cannot accomplish that without performance enhancing drugs, without PEDs, without steroids, without all these other things. And they talk about people can get, get around tests. Like I said, you saw it will show up or can show up on my doorstep at any time. Mm -hmm. How much notice? Zero notice. No, they they call you, right they there. call you and say, I'm at, I'm at your doorstep. So I know, I know I've been tested by the same person pretty much here in Tennessee and then two or three different people down in Florida. I've been tested on vacation. Like when I go to Arizona here in a week and I stay there for about two weeks, I, they will have my address every day. I wouldn't be surprised if I got tested on vacation. I've been tested on vacation in Arizona, tested on vacation in California. And they just show up and say, Hey, this is Joe with USADA. I'm at your front door. And that's it. That's the notice that you get. So, but I tying it back into mindset. It's just unfortunate. I get We've all been let down by the amount of people who have used performance enhancing drugs and gotten caught. We've all been let down that our favorite, our favorite sports star. And I grew up loving Mark McGuire and watching him with Sammy Sosa. I was crushed when exactly. Lance Armstrong. And Lance I mean, Armstrong. My, my boys are like, dad, what do you think about yeah. Lance Armstrong? I'm like, boy, I really yeah. hope, I really hope that he's not. Yeah. And then you're just, you're let down and I, and I get it. So maybe people are scarred from that, but it's going, tying it back into mindset. I think we are just, we get so we look for that safety. We look for that safety switch. We look for that, that, that pull switch where we're just like, okay, well, there's no way that that can be attainable. And I think our view of what the human body and what the human condition, what the human soul is capable of is so watered down and it's so diminished and you're never going to be able to make people believe what you believe about it. But when people throw those kind of accusations, it's just, it's unfortunate because not only do I know that I'm clean, but I, I, can be used as a guy who says, well, you can look like that. Well, first of all, you can look like this if you're a professional athlete working out two or three times a day well, that's the thing. And, and that's all you do. If, if you've got a nine to five and you work out once, once every three days and you do buys and tries, no, you're not going to look like that. But that's, that's what you look like whenever you pour your heart and soul into athletics since you were 14 years old. Well, the other thing is that would you want to walk around like that? <laughs> well, I guess I, maybe actually I kind of would actually, I mean, it'd be cool to look like that, but how did you feel? Like, um, I actually, at that point I felt pretty good. So three days out, I'm still drinking a gallon and a half of water that day. You know, I do a water load, you know, two and a half gallons, two gallons, one and a half, one, mm -hmm. you know, you fill your body up with water and then it excretes it and eating small meals. Now when you're drinking that much water, I'm, I've been doing a lot of reading lately on salt. Mm -hmm. How much salt are you putting in your body when you're, when you're trying to wring out everything? Salt is one thing that I want to talk to numerous people about. I want to talk to Dr. Anthony Huberman about it. What about um, Andrew Huber uh, D. Nicolantonio? Do you know him? He follows you. I see him on your, on your I, thing. I don't know. You got to check that love guy to. out. His Cause that stuff, I actually reached out to Huberman after this last one. Cause he mm -hmm. was talking about deliberate heat exposure. And I'm like, Hey man, I am deliberately exposing myself to a lot of heat <laughs> during dehydration, mm -hmm. you know, because ultimately, man, I want to win all the belts. I want to make all the money and fight under all the bright lights, but man, running around in this backyard with my two sons and my wife and <laughs> being there for them. That's the, that's the real gold. That's going to last forever. This, all this stuff is it's awesome. And I love it. 
that, and I love that people follow it and I love that people maybe want to be like that, but man, being able to serve my family, that's the most important thing. So I, I want to, I want to make the decisions and do this in the most educated way that I possibly can. Right. And know? we're learning more and more all, all the, the time, time right? all the time. But yeah, the salt thing is, is one thing that I need to talk to people about because the conventional wisdom says, get rid of all the salt. So then your body excretes more water. But I've heard other people talk about, make sure your electrolytes are on. Yeah, well, I know? mean, that could be true for, for, for ringing out all the, all the moisture in your body, which you yeah. obviously did is an incredible, I mean, you're the <laughs> super expert on that and uh, bodybuilders do that all the time yeah. and wrestlers do that all mm -hmm. the time. But is it, is it the best and can you recover quickly enough? Like this, um, uh, Dr. D Anton, um, uh, James D Nicolantonio. That's his last name? D, yeah. D. Nicolantonio? Yeah, he was a wrestler. Holy cow. Yeah, he was a wrestler. He just Try wrote this that book. on a bracket. <laughs> <laughs> I drew D. Yeah. Nicolantonio. Yeah, I know. It would be the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, he, he's got a great book right now. It's called Win. And uh, he talks a ton about sauna in there, talks about ice, but his big looking thing is salt. Up. And he has another book called The Salt Fix. Mm -hmm. And I've been looking at that. I have seen that. I've seen that. Yeah. And then uh, then um, the paleo guy, Rob Wolf, he's come out with the uh, element. Um, it's like a little stick. It's a thousand milligrams of sodium. I and I think I've seen that before. Yeah. It's, it's getting more popular now, but there's a lot of research on the salt, but were you using salt when you're so, trying to, when you're drinking that much water, two and a half gallons, then two gallons. And is so that what you not, said? That's not a lot of water for me. Honestly, I'm drinking, I'm drinking two gallons of water a day, mm -hmm. every day during training. And I do salt my food and I still am using my favorite, um, my favorite, favorite electrolyte is Ultima Replenisher. Mm -hmm. It comes in a grape and a blue raspberry and a couple other ones. Um, that's my favorite one. And I, and I use it at least in a gallon a day. Um, and I will say, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had some weight cuts too, where you got to be careful when you do dehydrate yourself, you have to put those electrolytes back in first. Mm -hmm. Cause if you just drink straight water, your body will start cramping up pretty bad. You know, I've had some, right. some stuff like that and it's, man, you know, I, uh, I think that's one thing that's, it's really hard to talk about because you don't want to talk to anybody about losing water weight or any of that kind of stuff. I am not a doctor. I am not an expert. I'm not right. going to be liable for that. I do wish there was a little bit more education for these, these young guys wrestling and, and, you know, cause you start cutting weight at such an early age. That's one thing yeah. my son will never, ever do if he you does decide what? to wrestle. I Oof. don't, I don't. You know, like I'm, I, I was the wrestling parent that had a little bit of a background in, in, in wrestling and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the other parents are like, what do you think about this? Oh, you know, yeah. should they cut weight? And I was like, I, I don't know. That's a hard, that's a hard you know, question to answer. Like, can they make the team? Like, yeah. you know, if that's the only spot, then you got to do it. But they had this, this thing where they, they started to monitor like all the season and they would, the they would weigh in yeah, way early. Yeah. And then they would say, okay, well you can make it to this weight class safely, mm -hmm. whatever. But you had to weigh in really early. Yeah, we started doing like, that well, in college too. I don't think that's good because yeah. um, now they're going to be cutting weight all year long. Yep. Where like we would just go right up two weeks before you cut down or whatever. But I don't know. I don't think it's good for a growing person no. to be cutting weight. You end up the size we are. That's what I just, I always make that joke when I'm talking about, yeah, I was supposed to be 6'3", 220, yeah, me too. but you know, I started cutting weight when I, and during those important growing years and like, yeah. So now we're like, like really? a fire plug. People are like, really? No, my dad's five, six, but whatever. You know, like I wasn't well, I supposed feel to feel like I should have been taller. I but swear. That, yeah. And people tell me that they, you look taller on TV. I'm thinking, oh, they, thank all, you. they always say that. I always say that. Or, or they'll kind of be disappointed. Like, man, I thought you'd be bigger. I'm like, yeah. 
Am I not good enough for you? Yeah. You know, like, come on. You know, no, you'd be bigger. I've had so many people tell me that. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Wow. That, that's you? Yeah. yeah. No, little old a, me. Yeah, you're just, yeah, little old me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right here. Put a camera on me. It adds 10 pounds and a, and a foot tall. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but I love this sport. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, that's the only thing too. When you talk about weight cutting, people are always like, oh, they should do more weight classes or they should. Do, but if you do more weight classes, all you're going to, you know, say, say we did a 165 division in mixed martial arts. All you're going to be, all you're going to do. Now the 195s are coming down or the yeah, 205. Exactly. They're going to be coming down to 160. There, there really is no way to get, get around it. And, and I've, you know, that's why I called out Connor at 170. So hopefully, hopefully I get Man, the Connor fight at 170. I hope you do. <laughs> I hope you do. That would be, that I would mean, be fun. That would be Incredible. It would be most, the most enjoyable training camp of my entire career, not having to cut weight. Cause part of it, 90% of it is stepping on the scale every day and realizing, okay, I got this many pounds left. It's not just, oh, I, I got to go do this hard work. The hard work is easy, but you know, depriving your body, your body of, of the food that it wants or water at certain times, it's just, it's not conducive to long-term happiness and success, but it's what I've done since I was 14. And I, I will, that will be one thing that I do not ever miss about the sport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, I heard you say one time that you thought that you, you wish they could do away with it, but do you see any way that that's possible? Weight cutting? Mm -hmm. No, no. I mean, the only thing I would say is there's an organization called one championship. Um, I like the way that they do it. Um, so for instance, if you're 155 pounds, if you're 155 pounder, you're hundred, you're a lightweight weighing in at 155 you don't have to weigh 155 but what you do have to weigh is 170 and pass a hydration test because mm. if you think about it it's about the same i get myself down to 170 then i cut the water weight down to 155 or i stay at 170 and i pass a hydration test which basically means i have a gallon or two gallons of water in me and i'm hydrated so would i pass a hydration test when i'm down at 155 no Never way. in a million years, you right. know, but so what did you do? You basically said, Hey, as long as you weigh 170 and I weigh 170 and we get on this hydration, we pee on a stick or pee on the hydration thing. And we're between, you know, a half of a color decimal or whatever that hydration thing is. That means we weigh about the same. Maybe you're a little bit heavier than me. Maybe I'm a little bit heavier than you. Maybe I, I'm sure there's ways guys can hmm. cheat it, but that's the one way that I've seen that I'm, that I think that makes a lot of sense because does the weight on um, does the weight on the scale really matter that much if you're a hundred if we're for 170 pounds and both hydrated you know it's I don't know that would be the one way that I could see them doing it but I don't think the UFC ever adopts that because one championship was the first one to do it you know right. so I could see them but it's part of it guess I'll keep cutting weight till I'm finally sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll uh I know that you got a lot of stuff going on and we're gonna we're gonna start to bring this to a close. It's been awesome, man. Thank what you. do you think your greatest strength is? Um my greatest strength, I I honestly think is that I just I want to get better at all times in all aspects of life. And I think it, it stems from that, from that walk on mentality. I think I hold myself to a very high standard. My wife and I are are so equally yoked in this, like it's not always a healthy thing because you put so much pressure on yourself or you're too hard on yourself when she's a phenomenal mom, but you talk to her someday, she feels like she's the worst mom ever. You know, <laughs> she's a phenomenal doctor, phenomenal, uh, in her, in her, in her professional life and phenomenal in all these different aspects of her life. But she has these moments where she's like, I just didn't do anything right today. You know, you, you have this, this healthy obsession with trying to be better and expecting so much more out of yourself. And I think the worst thing that we can do as human beings, and I think I've said it a couple of times now is essentially look at yourself like 
you you can't accomplish great things. You can't be above board. You can't be the best person on the entire planet when it comes to integrity, character. It's okay to believe that you can be an honest person and hardworking and do things right. I think I ultimately want to do things right at all times. And I fail every single day, but I, I have the yearning and the desire to be that. And I have the yearning and the desire to get better every single day. And life keeps changing. Seasons are anew. Now I'm, now I'm trying to be the best father of two young boys instead of just a father to Hap, my first son, mm -hmm. you know? And then before that, it was not just trying to be a great fighter, but now being a fi fighter and a husband and now a fighter, a father and a husband. And just believing that once again, go, but going back to James one, five, you know, he who lacks wisdom ask for it. And, and all of these, all of these different seasons, I truly believe that I can just continue to get better and not, not that I can, but that I will, hmm. I will get better. And that's one of my favorite jokes that I still tell my wife every single day. It's kind of a joke, but it's kind of not. And she's like, she's like, she just, the best moments of my life or when my wife looks at me and she says it heartfelt and she just says, you are a good man, you know? And, uh, obviously it always, you know, gets me emotional because it's, I, I love when she tells me that, but also I always tell her like, don't worry, I'll get better, <laughs> you know, because I, and I do truly believe that I think, I don't know. I just have a yearning to get better. And it's maybe it's the wrestler in me. If I drill that high crotch a thousand times, I'm going to get better at it. I'm going to get better at it. I'm going to get better at it. And it's just the constant repetition brick by boring brick that we build every single thing that we build our life upon every single day. <laughs> and so I'd say that's my, my greatest strength. I have seen that the proof is in the pudding that I can get better and I will get better at every single thing that I do. Nice. What's the great, what's your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness, um, I think even still to this day is, you know, I've talked a lot about mindset, talked a lot about building myself out of that small guy from the small town who was taught to do small things, but he's still inside of there, you know? And I, and I, I will admit that I kind of happy he's still there, you know, cause it, it helps me continue to rely on getting better. Mm -hmm. And, and John Gordon, the author told yeah. me that when I did his podcast one day, he said, cause I said, you know, I wish I, I've, I've gotten really good at taking that small guy from the small town who's taught to do small things. And I've gotten really good at duct taping them to the basement of my mind. <laughs> and, you know, I, I like these little, these like visualizations, right? I'm a visualizing guy. I just duct taped this little punk who just had, you know, he's just trying to sabotage my life. I've gotten good at duct taping him to the bottom of my basement of my mind and putting a roll of duct tape around his mouth. And he said, well, Michael, and I said, I just, I just wish I could get rid of him completely. And he's like, well, well, Michael, if you got rid of him, then where would be the place for God? Why would you have any reliance on God? Why would you need to, why would you need to rely on, on a higher power whatsoever? If you were able to just excommunicate these, these demons or these things that you can't get over. And I said, that's a really, really good point. So maybe in my mindset coach, Jim Hensel, I think would be a phenomenal interview for you. That's your mindset coach? Well, he, he was- there was Rich Froning. Yeah. He, he talked about slaying dragons. He said, some, slack, some dragons we slay, some we just get really good at pushing into a corner. Mm -hmm. And once you, once you accept that and realize you're not going to be able to slay all your dragons, Tom, but you're going to be able good at compartmentalize them and push them in into a corner where they stop rearing their ugly little head, you know? Mm -hmm. So going back to the, the question or the answer to your question, my biggest weakness is that that little guy from that little town still rears his head in certain weird, unexpected moments, 
you know, like I feel, I still feel really uncomfortable thinking that I can make a ton of money, still feel really uncomfortable thinking I can be on this huge platform, but without the money, you can't bless a lot of people without the huge platform. You can't bless and impact as many people. So it's a hard, weird reciprocating, you know, revolving door of, you have to have the success to get the platform, to get the, to get the money, to be able to bless the people, but there's still this unhealthy relationship with it. And I have no problem with admitting that because I think that's part of my testimony. I think it's part of my story. And I think there's a lot of people out there from a small town from, or a small guy from a small town who will probably feel that same exact way. And if I'm sitting over here and I was able to break the mold, but I'm also still haunted by those things and governed by those things in a lot of time, a lot of ways, it's going to break the chains for them. Right. Of course. I had a friend that just did the Ironman this last weekend Ooh. and he, um, did he pee blood? Uh, probably, probably. <laughs> oh, but, but a couple of days before he wasn't feeling good. And he said, uh, he sent me a text. He's like, man, not feeling good. Mm. And I said, okay, well, what are you going to do? Because I don't know. It's probably the, it's probably just the, the inner bitch inside me. And I <laughs> yeah. said, well, maybe. Yeah. And he said, I gotta, I gotta dominate him. Yeah. And I said, well, or, or you could just take him with you mm-hmm. and show him that you can do it. And yes. then he'll never doubt you again. Oh my gosh. That's and, good. and he was like, huh, never thought mm-hmm. about it like that. But I mean, it's like a lot of different things. There's the duct taping on the yeah. in the basement and trying to keep him quiet. Mm-hmm. Then there's the John Gordon or or Jimmy Hensel saying, "No, no, just just corral him." Yeah. And then some people say, "Well, you need you need to name it. You know, you need to understand it and name it and understand what this is that you're dealing with." Yeah. And then there's some another uh, thing that you know, just bring him with you. Yeah. Just show him. I actually love what you just said. I, I literally, as you said that, I, I imagined him running with this like little, this little, this little bitch on his shoulder. You can't like this do little, it. You this can't little do dude it. looks you're, like, you are doing but it. But then all of a sudden by mile 28, by mile 20, like, okay. oh, all right, fine. You, you can do it. I guess yeah. we'll, I guess we'll, I guess we'll finish now, whatever. Just let's get me yeah. back and give me a snow right. cone. You exactly. know, like, exactly. You know, and then you put him back into his place and be like, okay, Hey, next yeah. time, why don't you just keep a little bit more quiet? Right. And I think actually, if you think about even my metaphor, I think that's kind of consistently what has happened. That little guy from the little town, that the, he's got duct tape over his mouth, but every now and then he's able to pull it yeah, off. But, right. but it gets, but it gets, yes. it gets sh- these, the, the words get less venomous because right. I'm me as the human being, the Michael Chandler standing here. I'm like, no, shut up, dude. That's not true. That's an old thought. That's an old story. I used to tell myself, what are you talking about? Right. Or it comes more and more infrequently or the, the voice is a little bit quieter. And it's, I love that you just said that. Like, so, I mean, cause I am bringing that little, I'm basically bringing him bringing with him. me everywhere I go, Everywhere, you know? And it's, you can't Man. destroy him. No. You can try to silence him. But once, yeah, but once, I think whenever, whenever Jim Hensel said that to me, that you just get really good at pushing him into a corner. There's, there's an accountability with it, mm-hmm. but there's also an acceptance, you right. know, when you try to, it's like we talked about earlier, when you try to meet a goal and you, and you just, it's the end all be all and you have to, you have to do it. It starts to take control of you. But once you accept that little guy from the little town, that little, the little dude inside you, the little naysayer, mm-hmm. the little whatever, once you realize and accept that you're never going to slay him, then you can just be comfortable living with him and right. bringing him with you. You ever read uh, Secrets of a Millionaire Mind? It's I'm a little not. book about this thick. No, but that's and, my favorite kind. Yeah, that's my favorite dude. kind. If those of you didn't see, you made this little <laughs> quarter inch little, that's yeah, my favorite I can, kind. I can get through this one. Yeah. But in there, he talks about this. He has a whole chapter on this. And he's like, yeah, you know, sometimes this little person is going to rear his head. Mm-hmm. And he said he thought of himself as being like a, a teacher 
at, in a grammar school or something where you just have a rowdy class yeah. and there's a kid in the back that's like making smart out Alec comments and stuff. And he just says, thanks for sharing yeah. and moves on. And that's your guy. Yeah. Like when he says that, you just say, thanks for sharing and you move on. Well, I like what you say. You said, name it, you know, mm -hmm. acknowledge it, name right. it. And then, okay. Thank you, but your your input right. is is no longer needed. Yeah, no vote. But but when you don't, <laughs> you no vote. Exactly. No vote. No yeah. vote. But but when you, but when you, uh, I don't know when you don't when you try to ignore it. That's that's the thing too. When you, when you try to ignore it, it 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 gives it more control over you. Mm -hmm. You know, you have you give it more control when you try to ignore it because because you're making it bigger than it actually is. You know. Yeah. So I like that idea. And bring them with you. Yeah. Hop on here. Just hop in my pocket, little punk. Yeah, I'll bring Let's you. Go. I'll show you. I like it. Okay. So I've got five questions to finish off this. Okay. Uh, biggest weight cut you've ever made? Mm, probably this last one. Well, yeah, this last one. I mean, the biggest. It's almost 40 pounds. 30. Yeah, 193. I was consistently 191 to 193. Um, now, granted, to the ladies and gentlemen home, I, you know, I had to take about six weeks off. I, you know, jacked up my foot pretty bad, ankle pretty bad, shin pretty bad, and my face was, you know, pretty jacked up after the Justin Gaethje fight. So I, I was hobbling around for about four, four to four weeks gender, gingerly. So I don't normally get that, that heavy. You know, but I'll probably stay between 186 and 190. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, top three books that top, you can think of that you've read. Top three books. The greatest book, in my opinion, of all time is As a Man Thinketh. And it, go, it goes back to your yeah, million. Of that. It's, it's, it's about this big. <laughs> Y'all can get it off Amazon. There's a 25 different versions. As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. Um, I would go with Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And then a a ringer, um, kind of from left field. It's a golf book called how champions think by mm. Dr. Bob Rotella. Mm -hmm. And it's a sports psychology book. And I picked it up at the airport. One of those airport, uh, uh, impulse buys. It said, well, the, the name is really cool. How champions think I picked it up, read the back. I was like, this is great. Got on the plane, had my little, my little napkin as a, <laughs> as a bookmark, <laughs> Southwest napkin as bookmark. Started reading it and realized it was a book all about golf. I hate golf. I like golf now. <laughs> I hated golf back then. I really dislike golf now. I like to play it. But when you realize the similarities between a the one-on-one -on -one sport, you versus you of golf, it's so similar to wrestling and it's so similar to mixed martial arts. And truthfully, it's so similar to being a man, being an entrepreneur, being, being, a, being a business owner in any aspect of life. So as a man thinketh wild at heart and how champions think, and there's a couple other ones that I could probably name, but... Nice. Be three. One thing that you tell young wrestlers or fighters. I think the, the biggest thing is focus on the long game. You want to be the guy who's in, in this seat right here as 36 years old, about to probably sign a new contract with the UFC, had all, had all these years of providing for his family, had the delayed gratification to play the career right and have the long game in mind. I've been fighting for 14 years now. You don't want to be the guy who gets in the UFC. He's a flash in the pan. He goes one and two. And then now you got to fight outside the UFC and get yourself back in. You know, these days, anybody can really get to the UFC. It's staying in the UFC. So focus on the long game, have a phenomenal, have a phenomenal uh, stable of people around you, coaches and training partners, and have phenomenal, phenomenal management who thinks about the long game, not just the next fight. Nice. What's the first, if you're a quote guy, I know you quote a lot of things. What's the first quote you remember? First quote that comes to mind right now. Um, to give anything less than your best is a sacrifice the gift. Stephen Prefontaine. 
or the one that I love to live by too. That's a little bit separate is Zig Ziglar's. Uh, you can have everything you want in life if you will just help enough other people get what they want in life. Nice. I love it. Okay. Now at one point you said that your finish of Benson Henderson was the best shining moment mm-hmm. in your career. Yep. Now we're a couple of weeks outside of what I consider one of the most spectacular knockouts in all of combat sports history ever against one of the scariest dudes that I could imagine mm-hmm. being around, not, not only being in the cage with, but just yeah. being around Tony Ferguson, yeah. tons of respect for that guy. Uh, where does that one rank in your... I think, uh, you know, I always, I always look at more than just the fight. Obviously when I talked about the Benson Anderson one, that was because that's a do or die moment for me. That was my walk on moment. You know, if I don't win that fight, I'm not able to walk on to the UFC or if I do they're going to lowball me so badly that I'm, that I'm not going to walk on or not going to make the switch. But now that you talk about being in this moment after my fourth fight now in the UFC and, and finishing a legend like, like Tony Ferguson, who had never been knocked out, he had never been separated from consciousness. This, this, I think, you know, there was a, a, a moment that, as you said, I mean, Joe Rogan called it the, one of the most vicious knockouts he's ever seen. Dana said the same thing. And obviously these guys are, you know, fight promoters and whatnot, but I think that was probably the, the, the single moment, the best moment of my career, because when you talk about eyeballs, when you talk about platform and when you talk about how many times it's been replayed all <laughs> over the internet, I think, uh, you know, a, a different level has been hit after this. And I just, I feel truly blessed, man. It's, it's really, really cool. And it's a crazy freaking sport that I'm a part of, but I'm going to keep on doing it, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) You're very, um, you're very level headed for, for the amount of success that you have. You're, you're, it's not surprising. Most of the high level martial artists that I've been around, the Navy SEALs that I've been around, Mm -hmm. the most dangerous people on the planet that I've been around are just like you. They're calm. They're cool. They're confident. Who keeps you in check? I think, uh, I would, I'll give you one, one real one and one, one fantasy (laughs) one. I think one real one is my wife. I think I would just say my family in general, my wife and my two sons. And because when you become a father and you hold that child in your hands for the first time, you look them in the eyes and they don't understand what you're saying, but you promise to love and serve and protect them and take care of them the rest of your life. You start to realize, okay, when I was young and single and it was just about me and it was just about the bright lights and the belts. That was cool. But then it became about my wife and every decision I made positively or negative, negatively affected her. But she's a, she's a adult human being who quite frankly, my wife would be just fine without me. She is very autonomous and she's a very independent woman. I love that about her. That's why we work really well. But when I decided to adopt my first son and now my second son, and I have chosen to take on guardianship and take on the father role for these two children. Every single word that I'm speaking into this microphone right now, every single word when this record button gets turned off, every single decision that I make is another brushstroke on this canvas of this masterpiece that I'm painting for them. So I think me realizing that my family, not just them physically by their words that they're saying, but just the presence of them being there and me knowing that I am accountable to them is what keeps me in check. And then also I think the fantasy of the Michael Chandler in an alternate universe who makes a couple bad decisions and his life completely falls apart. His, his blessings completely get bastardized. His, the platform that I have completely crumbles because of a couple bad decisions that I make or ultimately the hard work that I didn't put in. 
And I get to a point where I'm living in so much self-loathing, self-regret that my pillow feels like a 40 pound cinder block every day. Cause I know that I didn't do everything I possibly could. And I think that's, those are the two things that kind of keep me in check. The real ones here on earth, physically, my wife and my two sons, knowing that I'm, I'm painting a masterpiece for them and they are positively or negatively affected by every decision I'm making, every action I have, or that future me who is only one or two bad decisions away. I mm. think it was, I think it was Jeff Foxworthy who <laughs> I think it was Jeff Foxworthy on the Ed Milet podcast. He, he did you listen to that one? Mm, no. It's it's great, man. But he talks about he's like, you know, I'm just I'm just about two bad decisions away from being a painter, you know? <laughs> and it's true. I'm like, you know, maybe for Jeff Foxworthy, it would be a, a painter. You know, think about him in Arkansas or Georgia or wherever he's from, like just painting, painting houses because he made a couple bad decisions. It, isn't that where we all are? Yeah. We're all a couple bad decisions away from, for me, it might be coaching, I don't know, coaching wrestling or doing, doing whatever. It might be something that I would maybe love to do. I would actually love to coach wrestling, but it's not where my passion is right now. Right. We're only one, one or two bad decisions away from a life that is very much subpar compared to where we, where we are now. Wow. So, so you just got to keep that future. That future me is something that, that I did in this thing we call that it was called seal fit. We go out oh, to I love the, that. We, we did. Do you know what that is? No. Well, I, what I love the I love the, the future me. Well, idea. yeah. So Mark Devine is this Navy seal and he, you go there for 50 hours and you train with them and oh. it's like a snapshot of hell week for mm -hmm. a regular dude. And, uh, in that he took us out on this run we get to this incredible place on the beach and he does this future me thing. And he says, I want you to imagine yourself. And he walks you all the way through it. And you imagine yourself with this incredible success or whatever it is that you want at that point. And it was very, very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, the California surf is hitting you in the face and it's just awesome. It was amazing. And with him walking you through it, it's just incredible. But what you're doing also is you've got this future me that you're talking about where you where you 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 got your hands on the sink, you're you're taking the gloves mm -hmm. off and who you want to be and who you want to be for your family. But then you also have this other future me, the 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 uh uh antagonist of mm -hmm. that of two bad decisions, and you could be whatever. Yeah. And it's just interesting how you keep those in balance. Like, yeah. but but the future me, both the negative future me and the positive future me is a guiding light for you. Yeah. And and maybe it's just the way that I'm wired. Maybe, maybe someone would tell you it should all be about positive psychology. You shouldn't think about, you know, that, that negative person or that bad person that you could become. But for me, it's for me coming from where I came from, I don't despise where I came from, or I don't despise the the young man that I was. I use him to fuel me and I never want to go back to that thinking and never want to go back to that, that feeling of insignificance of where I was. Um, so for me, it works and that's just me personally. And maybe there's somebody who, who thinks, you know what, maybe I need to do that. Maybe I'm high on the hog right now. Maybe I need to think that I really am only two, two bad decisions or two broken relationships or break this relationship or break that relationship that could be the most sacred relationships on, yeah. on the planet. Cause really I boil it down to three things, hard work, trying to be a good person and surround yourself with the best people possible. And you sever some of those relationships or you start slacking off or you see so you, uh, sacrifice your integrity and all of a sudden everything falls by the wayside. I don't want to become that man. Yeah. And I'm scared to death of him. Well, I'll tell you what, you are on the other, you're going the other direction well, from all you. outward appearances. Thank you. And uh, it's not a surprise. Well, we sit down and talk to you about, about the way that your mind works and the way that you, you, um, you take what your mind's doing and then you put in the work. Yeah. I mean, that's where it really 
comes down to is you got positive mindset. You're going, you know where you're going to go and you're not afraid to put in the work to do it. Mm -hmm. So, man, it's awesome. When's your next fight? I don't know. When's Connor going to sign the paper? I don't know. I mean, it would be great if it was Connor. You know, obviously I, you heard, you know, the call out after the fight. I, I would love to fight for the title. Um, don't know if that's going to happen. If not, I would love to fight Connor at 170 or, you know, a, another big fight. You so know, the title's vacant right now, right? Title is vacant. I mean, technically Charles Oliveira will fight for it. You know, he'll be the number one contender, but it's, it is technically vacant. So, um, it's a strange mix of how you come up with number two right now. Yeah. Because you fought Gaethje, you fought um Oliveira and Hooker and, Hooker. and all of the people that are in the in the mix, all yeah. the people that are in the mix have fought one another. Yeah. And some have won and some have lost and 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 it's just a funny mix right there. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's 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 an argument to be made for for Makachev fighting for the title next, even though he's only had one fight, one win inside the UFC. There's an there's an argument for Dariush to come back after his injury and, and go right into it. There's a, and then there's an argument for me. My, I have two losses in the UFC. They were both barn burners to, to the current champion and the number one contender who was Justin Gaethje, you know? So mm -hmm. Dustin Poirier had just fought Oliveira two fights ago. So it's an interesting weight class. It's yeah, a, it's Poirier. A, yeah. I mean, how do I forget him? Yeah. It's it. Well, I forgot about him too. The other day when somebody he's asked just me, been quiet lately. he's been quiet, but he's also been talking about going to 170. So I think I took him out of the title picture and he just fought for the title. So, you know, I, uh, it's an interesting weight class. And obviously you got the caveat or the, the, the ringer, which is Connor who could come back. He could come back and pee in everybody's oatmeal and just become, become the, you know, fight for the title, you know, uh, who knows? I don't think the UFC will do that, but they've earned the right to be able to do that. And Connor has earned the right to be in that position. So, um, I'm definitely not fighting till at least the winter time, November, December, if not January, February. So we'll see. Well, whatever happens, I wish you all the very best. I'll be in your corner and, yes, uh, can't wait to see it. Yes, can't sir. wait to see it. Thanks Thank for you. sitting down. Thank you so much for see having you at me. the top. That's what you're supposed to say. See you at the top. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Everybody Tom. follow Mike Chandler. Uh, how's your, what's your Instagram? How do they follow you? How do they see your YouTube page? All of the things. At Mike Chandler MMA on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And then, yeah, I'm uh, going to start pumping out some more content on YouTube at uh, Michael Chandler uh, slash Mike Chandler MMA. Okay. All right. That's it. Thanks, Thanks Michael. Sir. Thank you, guys. See you.